Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Uh, good morning. My name is Andy Short, and um, I'm going to read our scripture passage for this morning from Ephesians. Uh, if you can, uh, to honor God's Word, please stand while I read. Um, this is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. We started a series here uh, on what it means to be involved in the church by looking at uh, the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And what we saw last week was that uh, to be a part of the church is to be a part of something unified, to be a part of what God is doing in the world, and He will do His magnificent work of healing and restoration through the unity of the church. But what we're going to see this morning is that unity does not necessarily equal uniformity. Uh, A couple years ago, uh, we were just sitting at our dinner table, and it was a long week Week, weekday, where uh, it was kind of quiet, and we weren't talking very much, and all of a sudden, uh, one of our children just uh, spoke up to start a conversation, just said, you know who I feel terrible for? And my wife and I were like, where is this going? Okay. He said, the Buffalo Bills, and we were like, okay, and he said, they have never won a Super Bowl. And we were like, all right, well, thanks for sharing that one. And about uh, 25 seconds later, there was silence. And then the next child spoke up and said, you know who I feel terrible for? And my wife and I are wondering, like, okay, where are these things going? And he says, the state of Minnesota. And we were like, why? He said, because they don't ever win anything. We were like, okay. So another 15 seconds of silence, and the next child spoke up and said, you know who I feel terrible for? And we were wondering, please share. He said, North Korea. (laughs) He goes, because they don't get to do anything. And we were like, how did you know that? (laughs) And I remember in that moment just thinking, We've changed sharp turn subjects pretty drastically here in about a minute and a half. And it was really fun. And that was kind of what it meant to be a part of a family that night. Now, what if I had just been like, can you guys just stay on topic and follow the, the conversation? I mean, how, uh, how unfatherly would that have been? Because sometimes what makes a family so fun to be a part of and makes it so beautiful, 
is just how different everybody is. And one thing that Paul draws out for us so beautifully in this text is that being a part of the church is unlike anything else in the culture. Because to be a part of something in the culture will give you a, a fit character, a fit piece that you must conform to if you're going to thrive and move up in that organization. But the church is something that actually says, if you want to be unified, you actually don't have to do everything just like me. That there are multiple different parts of our body, and the different parts of the body actually come together to do one beautiful thing. Because families are diverse. So let's unpack that and look at what Paul has to say about that under three headings. One, everybody plays a role. Two, it's for one unifying purpose. And three, it's because of one thing. Point number one. Paul has been saying in the first six verses, if you go back and look at that in the book of Ephesians 4, that uh, the church is, is unified. It, it's not actually to seek unity, but it, it is by nature unified. It is one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. And then he says this in verse 7, that everybody plays a role. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul is saying there, that, that there are different gifts given by Jesus to His people. Now, a couple observations. Who, what, and how much? Who, it's, He says, to each one of us. Now, this is really profound because um, I need you to sort of become self-aware of something, that you live in the West a very post-enlightenment individualistic culture, so you read Bible verses all the time to think, what does this have to do with me? Now, the Bible, especially in the New Testament, actually every book is addressed not to a person, but it's meant to be to a body of people, to you all, to plural things. But here, this is a very unique moment where Paul says, it's not just a, a, mac, a plural application here. He says, to each individual person, He has given a gift. And what this means is that when you become a Christian, it is not that like the church puts you in, in sort of the preparation phase and says, okay, you, you need to sit here and prepare for a while and we'll have you in timeout or sort of the shepherd's pen. When you're ready, we'll bring you out and get you into important things. Uh, to be a part of the church, but it says that the moment you become a Christian, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit invade your life in such a way that you begin to be transformed and are given a gift. And there is no struggle of sin. There is no uh, amount of belief that qualifies you to get this gift. So, look, if you're somebody this morning who is wrestling with something uh, deep, whether it be personally moral or something existential and you're struggling with a belief uh, of how to adopt this in Christianity, it is not as though those struggles are held against you and Jesus says, when you get over those, I'll give you a gift. The moment, the moment you believe, He gives you a gift. But what? He says Christ's gift. That is, the role you play in ministry 
will be shaped by the gift that you are given. And it's worth noting, it's not something you pick. You know, it is not as though you come into the church and you say, I would just like to be doing this. There is something that God has, in a sense, picked for you, which means it may be something you've never thought of. It may be something you think that you're not prepared for. It may be something that you think you can't do, but it is something that He has prepared and will enable you to do. And the categories are quite different. They're all over the place, and there is no significance more in this one than in that one. And then thirdly, he says, how much? It says, according to the measure. Uh, that the TV show, The Office, a uh, very acclaimed comedy in the early 2000s, uh, has a, a very uh, a famous Christmas episode where, you know, the idea of the entire show was to play on the naive stupidity of the main character, of, of how out of touch he was. And uh, he's being interviewed about the Christmas party one time, and he says, you know, I love giving Christmas gifts because uh, it tells people uh, how much in dollar amounts I love you. <laughs> Look, some people are given gifts by Jesus and they're incredibly gifted. Other people, they have the gift from Jesus, but it's not quite as much as this gift over here, or as this person. But Paul here says, look, each to the measure. It is not as though the measure of the gift equals the measure of Christ's love. So, it, so somebody who you see has a gift similar to you, and it feels like they have more impact or more of that. It is not a measure of God loving them more than you. It's just a measure of the gift that they were given. Why is that? We don't know. But it is in no way a sign of that person being more special or more significant to God or to the church in that moment. Now, how different is that? from how we think about typical Christian community. Because here's how people think about Christian community typically. The pastor is gifted, the staff is really gifted, and all of us are here to observe their gifts. But what this text is trying to tell you is that look, to be a part of journey, to be a part of this church is not to come here and to listen to me teach. There are lots of powerful, incredible things that we want to see happen in and around this body. I'll give you some examples that I've been told about. There was a homeless ministry that happened pretty weekly here before COVID. We have not done anything since, partly in a wise way. We've been restricted by that, by the pandemic situation. But stuff like that has got to come back. We've been looking for a Sunday school teacher for Friends of Angels in that ministry for quite a while for somebody to be able to give special attention to any autistic children that we have come to this church. There are small groups that we want to do. We need, Eli needs more musicians. We need more volunteers to help with sound, to help with slides, to help with other things. There are social events that we should do to get other people involved who are not connected to this church. There are lots of things to do. And you know who the worst person to do most of those things is? Me. Because those aren't my gifts. That's not what I'm good at. But some of you are. 
And God has given you incredible gifts to do these things. Some of you are going, well, how do I know what this is? Well, a couple of things, a couple of pointers to look. Start doing something. One of the ways you learn about how you've been gifted is you just start getting active and you start doing something. You do trial and error and you realize, maybe I'm not good at this. Or maybe you start doing something and you realize, wow, I really am having an impact in here and I didn't know I could. Um, start asking yourself, what are your passions? What grabs your attention? And you know, one of the ways to know your passions is through your complaints. Some people look at the church and they go, why don't they do this? Why is this not happening? You know what that is sometimes? That is sometimes the way the Holy Spirit is saying, maybe you should do it. Because you're gifted and you're the one noticing it. See, sometimes the lack of activity in a church is not because we've looked at it and said, that's not important. It's because it's not our gift. And we've been needed somebody who is gifted, who will notice that, who will get busy, and will make the church aware of that. Find gaps and fill them. Another thing you can do is just ask people, what do you think I'm good at? How do you think I would make a valuable contribution to what God is doing through this body of people? And if you, if you believe that, and you start to get connected into that. Um, and you realize this is not advanced Christianity. This is not for people with degrees. This is not for people who have read through the entire Bible. This is not for people who are really serious about their faith. This is basic Christianity. One of the things it should do, if you really immerse this in the culture, is it should alleviate a huge fear that we all have. Look, I know some of you right now out there have this fear that when you come into a place like this, you wonder, does anybody want me here? Is anybody going to be my friend? Is anybody going to welcome me? And if I left, would anybody notice? But what this says is that if you are given a gift by Jesus to come into a body, you are vitally important to this place. There is probably something that is true about your life and your gifts that no one else has, and we have been waiting for someone like you. And so that insecurity that you have about wondering, do people want me here? This text says definitively, yes. Because everybody plays a role. And every part matters. There's a story I read several years ago about Flight 261 of Alaska Airlines uh, in the year 2000, um, had uh, almost a traumatic crash and had to have an emergency landing uh, out on a freeway uh, somewhere in Northern California. And when they did, looked into what happened, the diagnosis said, here's what was wrong with the plane. A loss of airplane pitch controlled resulting from in-flight failure of the horizontal stabilizer trim system jack screw assembly lines acme nut threads. Now that sounds like when you go to the mechanic and they start making stuff up and you're like, well, here's a thousand dollars. I don't know if it's true or not. It said the thread failure was caused by excessive wear resulting from Alaska Airlines insufficient lubrication of the jack screw assembly. Now think how huge 
an airplane is. And that tiny little thing almost wrecked it. Every part matters. And every organization out in the culture will say, you matter to the degree that you become just like us. But the church says, you matter sometimes because you're not like me, because everybody plays a role. Secondly, it's for one unifying purpose. Look, the gifts we've been given are diverse, but they work together for one unifying purpose, and it's to do the work of ministry. And this is a unique take on the gifts in verse 11 that Paul gives us. And these are word gifts. Now, uh, for an extensive New Testament survey of the gifts, you could also look in Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm not going to go through uh, the list of those gifts uh, for the sake of our time and then the immediate text that we're looking at here. But what those texts do is give a wider version of categories of how you can get involved and connected and figure out what role you can play. But it's really unique what Paul's doing here because in verse 11 he says, the gifts are apostles, evangelists, prophets, uh, prophets, shepherds, and teachers. Now real quick, 20 seconds of theology. Those gifts are all word teaching gifts. And the way he's laying them out are apostles are the, the first foundation of the church. And then prophets on top of that and then evangelists to outreach in the church, and then shepherds and teachers for the ongoing work of the church. And what he's doing with these gifts, is what I would like you to see, is that those gifts play a unique role for your gifts. Look in verse 12, verse 12 says this, after the gifts, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now hear this because I have a shepherd teaching gift. And what he says here is that the word teaching gifts are not ministry. But actually what the word teaching gifts are, are to equip saints for the work of ministry. Now saints is just the Greek word for uh, set apart ones. It's a designated term for the moment you believe. But he's saying God gave these unique gifts to the church to lay the foundation of the church, to proclaim his word, to give ongoing shepherd leadership through the ministry of his word. And that is actually not ministry. What that is meant to do is to equip people for ministry. And the word equip is this fascinating Greek word that was a medical term that was uh, often used of doctors or even uh, what we know about first century surgeons who took broken or hurt limbs and put them back together on somebody's body. So the image that Paul is using here is as if the, the, the body of Christ, the church, is like a body. That's the illustration and the image he wants us to have in his head. And he says it's as if somebody who is estranged from the church or hurting or uh, has, has sort of walked away from the church or doesn't feel a part of the church, what the teaching gifts are meant to do is mend those broken limbs and make that body healed so that body 
can actually go out and do fantastic service, kingdom work in this world. The point is this, friends. What I'm doing for you right now is a means to an end. It is not the end. In fact, what I'm doing now is trying to mend your broken limbs so that you can do fascinating things in God's world. A lot of you know this, I've been doing college ministry for uh, 15 years. And a couple years ago, I, I had a, a day that I, in my office, I was going to do some reflection and thinking. And I wrote down just as many students' names over the years that I could remember who had told me things like, I came to college and I didn't believe, and I'm leaving and I believe. Or I came to college, uh, I grew up in the church, and I was going to walk away, and I'm leaving here, going into ministry. Or they'd had some radical change, and I wrote all these students' names down, and I started thinking about how that had happened. And it, it was a long, long list. It was, it was amazing to read. And you know what? There was one girl who I remembered her story where it was one night in a meeting, and I was preaching through something, and she came up to me, and she said, now I believe. Now I believe. The rest of those stories were all my friends helped me. I was having lunch or I'd work out with so-and-so. We would go for walks or we were in small group or they were in my class or we did this project together. They shared their life. They were a part of me. They helped me. They served me. They cared for me. They listened to me. They prayed for me. And it changed my life. Almost none of it was me doing this. Because what God was doing is that I was doing my gift to try to speak into college students' lives so that when they heard it and it began to repair their view of the gospel, their view of what God was doing, what was happening is that they were then going to their neighbors and their friends. And that incredible power of the gospel was bleeding out in the personal way in which they were gifted to impact their friends. What you're learning, this is what you're learning here. The resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead comes alive in the church when your life gets repaired and you begin to go live out your gift with other people. One scholar said it this way. He said, the church meets needs in Jesus' name as a witness and sign of the coming kingdom. That is, Jesus' kingly power which will eventually heal the world physically, socially, and spiritually, is now distributed into us. The bottom line is that every Christian is in ministry through the church. No one is merely a consumer of services. Everyone is a distributor. See, what it means to be a part of the church is to learn your role so that we all together come and begin to do the work of ministry of healing people's lives. Everyone plays a role. It's for that purpose. But third point, it's for, because of one thing. Look at eight, verses 8 and 9. This is really profound, what Paul does for us. He says this, 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Then verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Did you get all that? It's a lot, but he, here's what he's saying. Look, why would you embrace your gift? Why would you pursue this? Why would you throw off all things and come together for this mission to heal this? And it's, it's because of this king. So what Paul does here is he's actually quoting Psalm 68, and he's using a modern illustration in his culture to make a fantastic point. Here was the image. In the ancient Near East, when a king would win a battle, what would happen is he would go into a country, there'd be some evil lord, he would overthrow them, and he would free the captives, and he would take the captives back into his kingdom, back into his country. They would follow him, and when they would come back with these freed people, there would be this incredible parade, and everybody would be there welcoming the king, praising, throwing gifts at him, singing his name to the point that they would always have a slave with the king in his little chariot saying, homo ace, which is Latin for remember you are a mere mortal. Everybody would be singing his name, saying how great he is, and they would be throwing gifts at this king. Because who is a king like this that would free these people? And here's what Paul is saying. Those kings are great. This one's better. He said, because Jesus fought the battle of all battles, not against that foreign country, but against sin and death. And what he did is that when he freed us from sin, he led all of us captives free into his new kingdom. But when he ascended to the Father in Acts chapter 1, going up to the throne, we didn't throw gifts at him, but he's a king who distributed gifts to us, to his captives. And Paul says, these gifts he gives you, no king does this. No king is celebrated and gives gifts, but this king is a king who brings you into his kingdom not by receiving your gifts, but by giving you his so that you can know and do his work. Look, see, even when, when you talk about spiritual gifts, it's rooted in the grace of the gospel. To say you have to understand the gift of the gospel in this person, Jesus, if you're going to understand your gift. Because the fascinating thing about spiritual gifts, if you get involved in a church, is that you'll quickly realize people forget this is a gift. And they begin to think that this is something that they've earned or they've worked out or there's something more special about them than you. But what a gift is, is something that you didn't earn. See, if, if you're a Christian, what you believe is that you're a sinner saved by grace. That is, that you bring nothing to the table 
There is nothing you've done to earn God's love, but he comes and gives it to you freely in his grace and in his mercy. And that means your gift is not a measure of your righteousness. It's not something for you to stand up on and look down on somebody in the church, nor is it something you'd be afraid of and look up to other people and say, well, I'll never be like them or I'll never be as powerful as them, or I'll never be as loved as by them. See, when you do those things, you're, you're living in works righteousness, thinking that these kinds of things are things that if we, if we work hard enough, God will accept us, love us, and give us things that make us valuable. But the gift of the gospel is none of us deserved it. None of us did anything. He's a king who just gives gifts. And verse 13 says that when you begin to do this and when you begin to take your gift, it's not just for the healing of the world. You know what it will do? Is it will begin to make you like him, which is the ultimate goal. My friend uh, Chad Brewer, he's a minister in Newport Beach, just always tells me this, tells this story. It's so powerful. That when he was in Minnesota, there was a cancer hospital that he read an article about, about a little boy named Mitch. And uh, Mitch happened to be uh, in the uh, hospital around Christmas. And uh, as it was coming to Christmas Day, he heard stories about other kids in the hospital who were not going to be able to uh, get any Christmas gifts, they heard about parents uh, not being able to afford hotel rooms because the bills were so high, so they were sleeping in Minnesota winter nights in their car, doing anything to sort of survive. And, and this little boy with cancer was so sad about this, he said, Dad, can you please go to my checking account, get all the money out? So his dad came back with about $3,000 in $100 bills, and what Mitch and his father did is they went around and put $100 bills in envelopes and just kept putting it under doors on Christmas Day, just handing out gifts to every single person in the hospital. And they would hear people open these gifts and just, this is amazing. Oh my goodness, wow. Like, like it, it, it was joy and celebration and happiness and tears and laughter in a cancer hospital on Christmas Day. It was one of the most beautiful things. And Mitch turned to his dad and said, this is the best day ever. We have to do this every year. And Mitch's father had to look at him and say, Mitch, you're not going to be here next year. And Mitch had to look at his dad and he said, then you have to promise me that you will do this. Look, Jesus, the ultimate gift giver, ascended to the Father to look at his church and say, there's going to be a time when I'm not going to be here. And you're going to have to do it. And I have gifted you fully to play a role for an amazing purpose that your neighborhood and your world will be healed. Get involved. Let me pray. Father, would you help us? 
Would you help us discover our role? Would you help us, Lord, know that there is no one in this church who is invaluable. There is no one who, if they were to walk away, we would not miss the role they play. We would not be uh, void of, of anything that they brought to the table. Lord, help us come together through the power of your Holy Spirit to know the depth of your love so that we can see the need in our community and in our body or that we could be one playing a role to heal people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.